Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. If it's Thursday, it must be time for us. This is like the only time I socialize. Do you know that, right? It's always a good chat. I don't know. What about you guys? Are you guys social at all? Or oh, hell no. Is this your only like human contact? I've been driving driving Uber more than I thought I, I would be and actually looking forward to it because at least it's some kind of contact with people albeit masked and, you know, and, and all that, but. Taxi cab confessions. Taxi cab confessions. Does anybody ever do anything really weird while you're driving them? <sighs> um, no, no, nothing like on taxi cab confessions, but I've seen my share of drunken belligerent people. <laughs> yeah. Have you had long conversations with people? Not super long. I, I drove a couple to Brooklyn this past weekend and they didn't say one word to me not even a hello when they got in the car i was i was certainly the help you're the help <laughs> i was the help um they were very you know they were talkative with each other but not uh not with me at all that weird you have to have like really good like solid sense of self-confidence i think to go three hours with somebody in a car that won't talk to you i couldn't do it no. I'd, I would just hector the person until they spoke to me. <laughs> I wouldn't make a good Uber driver for that reason. I would just not be able to leave people alone. I was hoping that if I left them alone, maybe I'd get a tip, but I didn't, I didn't get a tip. Not a, not a, not a dollar. You didn't so. get a tip? No tip. Oh I don't know. If, God. Maybe, what is wrong with people? I don't know. All the way to Brooklyn. And then I got to come back, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's just insane. Tip your Uber drivers. <laughs> Well, Uber driving is not actually the topic that we're talking about. No, but there's a nice segue for this. Let's hear it, Joe. You can do the segue this week. That is because uh, I know another guy who is a driver. He, uh, that, he doesn't drive for Uber, but he does some private driving. He actually started his own company. And his name is Gopal Char, and he lives in Southampton Village. And he is the subject of our conversation. Isn't that weird? I had no idea that was... yes. That's what he does for. That's what he does for a living. He's uh, just a just a lovely man. Uh, I had a conversation with him uh, a little over a week ago, and we talked about just what had to have been the worst couple of months of his life. Okay, before we get into that, let's introduce ourselves. We have with us Bill Sutton. Hey, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And Joe Shaw. Hey, Joe. I am Joe Shaw, and I'm executive editor. And I am Annette Hinkle, and I'm the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group. And it's just the three of us this week. We are going to work in the voice of Gopal, who is a COVID survivor. Kind of interesting. I think he's like the first person that we've really talked to who's gone through this out here in our region. And Joe, you can talk a bit about him because you were the one who interviewed Gopal about his experience with this horrendous virus. Yeah, we did a Q&A. He had actually spoken at the library um, a month or two ago about his, his uh, experience, and we wanted to get an inside look. We did talk with uh, one or two patients along the way and families of patients, 
but I don't know that we've had a first-person account quite yeah, like this. Like, well, but I know, I mean, for me, it was a shock because, you know, first of all, I don't like to go to doctors. Um, all my, throughout my life in the United States, I always had health insurance. I never used it. Never. I didn't have to. And um, so when I got this, I was kind of like, I, in 20 years, I had never been to a doctor. So it was kind of like, you know, like, I was, it was nerve-wracking, especially... At this time, when you are, you hear about people dying. So I said, "Oh my God! Don't tell me the my turn has come now." No, it was really scary. And and Gopal actually had one of the more severe cases of uh, COVID nineteen that Southampton Hospital treated. He actually was hospitalized four times during his treatment, and it was for a total of. We were trying to count it up, and it seems like it's between nine and ten weeks total uh, that he's in the hospital, and that includes eight days on a ventilator. And so he really ran the gamut of what the worst of this disease, just short of it being fatal for the patient. And he is very honest that he feels like at many times along the way, he was very close to not making it, and his doctors told him as much that he would probably shouldn't be here. And if he, if he did survive it, he probably should be in a nursing home. Uh, Gopal 61, I have to tell you, he seems like he's in terrific health. He's a native of India. He lived in uh, Europe for a long time. He's lived all over the United States as well. Came here, fell in love with it. He said he came to visit a friend and fell in love with it out here. But in, in his 61 years, uh, he said he, he's very rarely been to a doctor. He just doesn't go to doctors. He is diabetic. And he, he treats that he's type two diabetic uh, and he treats that that is a comorbidity for when you get COVID-19. But other than that, I got to tell you, he's, he's not overweight. He's seems like he's in terrific shape, even now uh, talking to him after having gone through all of this. So uh, it, it explodes a lot of the, the, the myths about who is at risk. Anybody can be at risk with this disease. He said he goes to the gym a lot and he eats, he's vegetarian, right? So he, he eats, he eats really well and that keeps him in, in good shape. You know, because I was born in India and, you know, I was vegetarian. I mean, you know, no meat, nothing, you know, healthy. Like I, knew. I think this is what yeah, is really freaky India. is that, you know, it's like the people that could get hit, hit with it so severely just don't seem like the ones who would be the obvious candidates. It's exactly it. Yeah. And he, he said the only time he had been to the doctor in 30 years probably was uh, when he fell and had a wound that he had to have taken care of. But other than that, uh, he basically has stayed away from doctors and uh, his vegetarian diet is, is a big part of uh, it seems random. And, and, and I mean, I think so many diseases are, uh, but, but COVID-19 certainly seems to be one of them. And we talked about how he might have caught the disease. And he had a friend who died. He actually had a friend who was being treated for cancer. Uh, and as early as December, he started to get sick. And his friend actually passed away, in, I believe, in early March, if I remember correctly. And I was curious... Uh, it's a difficult question to ask somebody, but did you think you got it from your friend because he had visited him in the hospital? He had cancer, but then he developed COVID, correct? Exactly, yes. He was, he was hospitalized in December for COVID-like symptoms, I believe. And I think he eventually was diagnosed with COVID and uh, was treated for that and, and passed away in early March. But he said the timing of his illness, he doesn't think 
it it makes sense that it was that he would have gotten it from his friend. He actually thought he might have gotten it from a trip to a supermarket in East Hampton, and he said that there were just a it was early in the 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 time and there weren't a lot of people observing social distancing. They weren't really cleaning everything the way they were uh, just a few weeks later. So I remember early March, nobody was wearing masks yet. Nobody was, I mean, people were rushing to stock up, um, but, but there were no real protocols yet at that point. So, uh, so was his friend hospitalized and died out here in Southampton? No, actually he was at Stony Brook. Um, his friend was from a little bit farther West, but it was a close friend of his and he, mm. and, and I have to tell you, he was, I think that certainly affected the way Gopal looked at the disease because he said that after his friend was put on the ventilator, he felt that that was the beginning of the end for his friend. And so he told his doctors, don't put me on a ventilator. Uh, three times a day just to check my oxygen And I was scared because anything less than 88, they would take me to ICU and put me on the ventilator. So I told the doctors, I said, yeah, I don't want to go on the ventilator. Um, if you were going to put me on the ventilator, I will sign my uh, the release papers that I want to die. I don't want to be on the ventilator because I earlier my friend um, had died. And they, they, this was at the earlier stage. Actually, he previously he had cancer. Um, and, and, you know, early, again, going back to March and April, that was a narrative around this disease was that if you ended up on a ventilator, you may not come off of it. And, and I remember those conversations. They've since then, and actually Southampton Hospital has adopted a practice of using a ventilator earlier in the illness to help somebody get through it in a little more, with a little more strength. And they've seen some real success with that. But there was a time early on when, when getting put on a ventilator for treatment of COVID-19 was seen as a really bad sign that you won't, you may not recover. So Gopal felt start, he first developed it in March or April. Do we, do you remember when? It was the end of March and he actually had all of the classic symptoms, short of breath, lost his taste, wasn't feeling well, all that stuff. It had really, he said, just terrible weakness. He just couldn't get out of bed. And he said it was actually a friend who he was talking to on video who didn't tell him, but when she hung up from him, she immediately called an ambulance and sent it to his, to his house to take him to the hospital. That's she, and he wasn't even aware that those were symptoms of COVID-19 at the time. I think also in the beginning, they were telling people not to go to the hospital. He was so serious at that point that his friend called the ambulance for that reason, that, that he, was, he was far enough along without having had any treatment that he needed to get intensive care. And so he, he went into the hospital that first time for, I believe it was two weeks, and he got basic treatments. I think he may have actually been in for a little bit longer that first time, but there wasn't much that they could do then. At that point in time, it was early on in the treatment. And he said the doctors all f- fairly acknowledged that they, were, they weren't really sure what to do. They tried hydrochloroquine. He said it was terrible. It, it made him ill and didn't help him at all. But he eventually nursed his way through uh, where he was released from the hospital after after a few weeks. My whole experience was that it was a roller coaster. 
even the doctors did not know what they, where they were going. It was like a pilot flying without a GPS. That's how it was, kind of like, you know. I mean, uh, they did not know, I mean, what was going on. If you ask the doctors, they would say, I know, like, you know, uh, we'll see. It's day to day. Early in the, the, the disease, um, the treatments, they, you know, they, they didn't really have a lot that they could do. Um, so they, they stabilized him and he did get well enough that they released him home, but he went home with oxygen and said that he wasn't well at all um, and had trouble, you know, even, even surviving with the oxygen. Um, and he had a couple of bouts uh, where he came home for a while tried to, to feel better, um, wasn't getting any better, went back to the hospital to get his vitals checked. They checked his oxygen levels and they were so low that they put him back in the hospital again, treated him some more, tried different things. Uh, it was just a, it was a long battle. And, you know, one of the interesting things to me about this that I have to keep reminding people when I tell them this story is he didn't have COVID after a certain point, Right because the disease eventually you roll through the disease and you do eventually defeat the COVID. But what you have is the damaged lungs and, and, and the other damage that, that has that, that needs time to heal and repair. And so he was still uh, suffering COVID like symptoms, even though he was free of the disease uh, later on. I, I think that that's so important that people don't realize it. And, and people, I think, they're starting to touch on it now, but everybody thinks, all right, you have COVID, you're sick for a week, couple of weeks, even if it's bad, but then you're immune and, and then, you know, everything's back to normal and you're okay, but it's not. I mean, this thing lingers with you, you know, for, for the rest of your life, perhaps, depending on what kind of damage is done. And, and I think some people just don't get that. So would we consider him a long hauler? I would say so. Um, I, I, you know, eventually it came down to, you know, he tells just terrible stories about having, you know, going to, to Costco and having to ride uh, a scooter around, not being able to, and, and being at grocery stores and having to pretend he was reading packages just because he was stopping just to catch his breath. I not, when I went home, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't even eat much. I mean, I was feeling fatigued. Like, you know, when you're not breathing well, I mean, you're feeling fatigued. I remember going to uh, Costco. And for the first time, I had to use a trolley, a scooter. I felt that very odd. People were looking at me like, because I know a lot of people over there. And I said, Kumal, what happened to you? You know, I said, I, that I didn't want to explain everything. Because the thing is, you know, this COVID also created a little bit of discrimination. Some people didn't even want to deal with you, you know. You know, I, I, I experienced that. I experienced, that's why I didn't want to tell my story to anybody, you know. Mm. I wanted to keep it to myself. Because the thing is, people say, oh. My friend told me, Come on, don't tell anybody that you have COVID because I will have a problem. My yeah. job will be on the line. That so was he terrible. was really struggling even after having been in the hospital and out, in and out, and in and out. And he finally had a friend take him back to the emergency room for a fourth time. And as they were checking him in, in the emergency room, he collapsed. And I don't believe it was part of the article, but he did tell me that uh, the doctors told him he actually suffered two heart attacks and had uh, oxygen stopped to his brain for, for a fair amount of time. He was immediately put on a ventilator at that point. The one thing that he didn't want to happen 
uh, had to happen because his oxygen levels were still so low. This is, again, this is in the middle of summer, which is, you know, months after he had, he had gone through the, the original treatment. And uh, he spent eight days on the ventilator. And when he, when he woke up, uh, there's that just awful photograph of him in, that we had with the story this week, uh, right after the ventilator was taken out after eight days. And he said he had no idea eight days had elapsed. Um, it, he thought it was only one. At that point, they began treating him with, uh, what's the name of that drug? Remdesivir? Remdesivir. That's it. Thank you. I wouldn't be able to pronounce it. Gopal says that, what is it again? Remdesivir. Remdesivir. Thank you. I need you here just to follow me and and say that word for me. Um, He said it actually significantly helped him and he finally got over the hump. And, and, you know, when I spoke with him, uh, it was probably two weeks ago at this point, he sounded great. He sounded very healthy, didn't have any traces of illness or anything, but he said he's still struggling. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Cordoraro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com The other thing that I found really fascinating was the conversation uh, turned spiritual very quickly. And, and one of the things that, that struck me, and it was an opportunity to ask him, was having been in the hospital at times in the past, I cannot imagine being in the hospital for any length of time, nor for something that serious, and not having contact with anybody who cares about you. And he went just weeks and weeks and weeks without contact with anybody who knows him. He's here largely alone that he doesn't have a spouse or a family member who lives with him and he doesn't have too many local friends. He doesn't have family, but he certainly has local friends. He's a very popular guy throughout Southampton village. He's actually really widely known. Uh, and everybody I've spoken to a lot of people have told me that they know Gopal and, and they're just, everybody has nothing but good things to say about him. But imagine going through this dark night of the soul where Gopal talks about lying in bed, staring at the wall, not being able to sleep. And all you can do is think about, you know, your own mortality, basically, and not having friends and family around in any way to, to support you. You know, when I think about the terror that, that this pandemic brings, that's the scariest part of all this to me is the people who suffered through this and sadly died alone because they couldn't have any contact with anyone. Uh, it's just the, it's the cruel part of the disease, I think. You pretty much leave it to God. I mean, I was, uh, I was starting to think, um, I was going through my, my, what is going through my mind was, uh, what could have I done better in my life? I started thinking about that. If I had to live this life again, how would I live? I mean, mm. um, the mistakes I made, I, I could have had a better relationship with um, people. You know, like, you know, you want those are the things because you knew that any day you could die. Death was right there. I could see, I was at the, at the jaws of death. I could see death knocking at my door. Any 
day, I would gone. I would be gone. The doctors used to tell me, Gopal, you're not going to die. But how could I believe them, you know? If the same thing happened to Gopal now, would the outcome have been a lot better just because of what they've learned since March or April, do we think? I think that's a great point. I, I think it's very possible. Uh, the treatments that, that they've come up with, I mean, what I've, what I've found really fascinating about the treatments is something as simple as proning, which is having patients lie on their stomach, uh, which they've found is, is really significant in uh, limiting the amount of uh, damage to the lungs and allowing a person whose lungs are compromised to breathe is uh, something that took a while uh, for them to come up with. Now it's standard practice, I believe, in treating the disease. Um, with the president's illness, certainly brought this into a new focus this past week. <coughs> and I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's interesting that as long as the president stays healthy now, uh, he seems to have gotten the kind of combination of cocktails of medications that wouldn't be available to the average American. Uh, and certainly, I don't know that the average American could afford that cocktail. I think I read that uh, the treatment would be over $100,000 for an average American who wouldn't have access to most of, uh, most of those anyway. But there are treatments out there that are working now. And that wasn't the case in March especially in March, if you remember, this thing was really uh, baffling to the medical community. And uh, I think if Gopal had gotten sick now, I think his treatment would be more aggressive. I think his outcome likely would be better. And I think that's probably true for everybody. But as we've talked about, it's so random. And you don't know if you're the, the patient who isn't going to pull through quite as, quite as easily. Well, there's different levels of it, right? I mean, some people get more more sick than than, than others, obviously. And if you start off with with a less intense um, development of it, I, I, I guess would would be the term. Then, you know, then your chances of getting better quicker, or, you know, are, are better. But but who knows? I also wonder and worry about you know if if there really is an effort to get rid of the Affordable Care Act and think of all the people that have lost their health insurance because of the pandemic and losing their jobs. You know, is there a hierarchy of how you're treated? Do you go into the hospital and they look at your insurance or lack thereof and that determines the course of action? You know, I don't know if that's an issue or not, but I would certainly be very nervous if I was totally uninsured right now. I, I think the issue of pre-existing conditions come up as well and, and all these people that have had COVID and, and come through it okay, but may have some damage, as we were talking about earlier, may have damage to the lungs or whatever, that becomes a pre-existing condition. You lose your insurance, even if you get new insurance, then that pre-existing condition isn't covered. So, so any treatment you need for the damage that was caused by the COVID, whether it's, you know, a year from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that, that you know, that, that that's in question. This whole thing with the pandemic has brought a new focus on healthcare in a way that obviously there was a focus on it to begin with, but I think it's really brought it into sharp focus and critics of the, the, the idea for universal healthcare or even just mandated coverage, which was, a, was something uh, that President Obama was pushing uh, that, that a lot of uh, opponents uh, tackled. You know, it's about the right not to buy health insurance 
I'm healthy, so why do I need health insurance? Nobody plans to get COVID-19. And if you, whether you have insurance or don't have insurance, you're, you're just as equally susceptible to getting a disease like that. And so I, I, that's true of car accidents. That's true of cancer. It's true of, of, of all kinds of things. Nobody knows what your, what your health history is going to turn out to be. Um, I feel like COVID-19 just, just brought that into sharp focus in a way that it wasn't before anybody can get this disease. Uh, you can be careful. Uh, being careful clearly helps. Um, I think we've seen that owned out in New York State and across the nation. Uh, states that have been a little more careful have better numbers. So. Well, it's like it's kind of like car insurance. Like nobody expects to get into an accident, but that doesn't mean you can drive around without auto insurance. You know, yes, you're you're young and healthy, but by you having insurance, you help to pay for the people who are sicker and older, as you will be one day, and hopefully somebody will be paying for your health insurance. I don't know. This whole I, I don't know. It just seems like so much of it is is about um, individual freedoms to choose not to wear masks and choose not to have insurance. And, and there's I don't know. The collective spirit seems to be sort of lacking in 2020. The question I always I, I really want to ask, and it's a sincere question, is for, for people who object to the idea of requiring you to have health insurance is, well, what happens to someone? So if you have the individual freedom to say, I'm not buying health insurance, and something cataclysmic happens to you, what, what do you do then? What, what, is the, what is the outcome? Is that individual patient then just bankrupt? Do they not get care at a level that, that a person with insurance gets care? Do we just have to come up with a system where somebody picks up the tab for that for free? Is that fair that, that, you know, someone should get that coverage for free? I genuinely don't know how you follow out the thread of that conversation. And it, and it seems perfectly relevant to ask those questions uh, when it comes to insurance. But I will say this, in this case, insurance wasn't the issue. And Gopal said he's never been without health insurance. That's not why he didn't go to the doctor. Uh, and he did have health insurance to cover him through this. And, uh, you know, we can't lose sight of it. The outcome here was, was positive. Gopal's healthy now. He's gotten through it. But we also can't lose sight of the fact that he went through one of the worst things you can go through in life, which is a life-threatening illness uh, that lasts months. And uh, it, clearly, it clearly affected him in a very deep way. And he talked about... Uh, having PTSD uh, from dealing with being in a hospital bed for so long, trying to fight COVID. And it also took him to some very deep and places uh, thinking about life and what life is all about and what it means. And the thing is, at that point, nothing mattered to you. Money, uh, anything, nothing, 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 nothing. I, I was like, I said, you know, whatever God brings, I'm ready. That was that was my attitude at that point, you know, because the thing is, they, it was not in my hands at that time. Nothing I could have done except have a positive attitude. But I don't want to. I didn't want to have a false sense of a positive attitude. Having a positive attitude, but with a false sense, that is like you know, like having a false bottom. I wanted to be real, you know, not like you know, somebody who was just that, like, that positive attitude though that he talked about, and and yeah, it was it was dark and it was deep. But, but that faith that, that he had and, and continued on with, and, and he talks a lot in the interview about 
um, you know, talking to God, you know, every day and, and reflecting on his life and, you know, have I done everything right in my life? And, um, you know, I think you could argue that, that that helped to, to pull him through to have that spiritual connection and with, with his higher power and, and, you know, and to, and to be able to move forward and, and, you know, at the end, you know, he, you know, he, he talks about um, this being a, a reset. And, you know, the Lord asked me to push a reset button. And he came out with a very positive attitude. And it sounds like he's got a very positive attitude, uh, faith-filled attitude now. And, and I, I wonder, if he hadn't had that, would, would the results have, have been the same? And I think that's a real testament there. I'm not a religious person, but I'm struck by exactly what you said, Bill. I think that his faith certainly sustained him through this. And he mentioned the fact that his church community was praying for him. I think in a certain sense, that kind of uh, feeling of support that you get, whether you're religious or not, I think it has an effect on, on how you deal with, with difficult challenges like this. And I, you know, I, I think his story is uplifting in the end. Uh, I just feel awful that he, that he had to go through it because I cannot even imagine in the worst times of this, uh, what it was like uh, really staring into the abyss in, in a way that, that definitely changes you. I think those of us who have had those kinds of major medical incidents and Bill and I certainly uh, can attest to that, uh, when you've had a major medical uh, thing happen and you look into the abyss, you come out the other side changed. You really do. Imagine going through this in a country that doesn't have great health care, you know? And that was something he said, too. He said, you know, one of the things that reminded him of is what's important and what's important is being happy living in a country where you can be treated for a disease like this and have some chance of surviving it. So, And, and look, I, it, it's it's a chance to throw a little shout out to Southampton Stony Brook Southampton hospital, which I think had a pretty good record through uh, this crisis of, of not only providing good care, uh, but providing some innovative care. I think they, they really did some things along the way that, that uh, they learned as they went and they were ahead of the curve on some of the treatments. Well, he talks about the great care that he got at, at Stony Brook Southampton, but he also talks about, the humane care that he got too, the the interaction with the doctors and nurses and even support from the cleaning staff that, that you know, that he admits took took a chance and were very brave to come in and clean his room um, every night, but, but also um, had conversations with him and asked him how he was doing and, and talked to him. And, you know, we, we, we've lost some of that. We talked early on about, you know, first responders and healthcare workers and the heroes um, that they were, but I, I mean, imagine you know working in a in a job, going in for a twelve hour shift, where you know your your life is is on the line too, but taking the time to you know to to give those patients that that humanity, that care, to have a conversation, to ask how they're doing, to you know to make sure that 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 their needs are being met. I was actually unhappy to hear about the president getting ill. But I had hoped that it might prove to be a turning point for how he spoke about the disease. That hasn't proven to be the case. And I think that's unfortunate because I think the one thing that set our country apart is that the messaging about safe behavior during the pandemic has been muddled. 
I think the one thing I feel a little better about right now is I think most people get it. There are people who are just defiantly not accepting that, but I think most people really do get it. Most people get it that masks work, that social distancing is important, uh, despite what the messaging coming out of the White House is at the moment, uh, masks work, and they really do. The news from Washington, the news from, from North and South Dakota, from Wisconsin, these are states that, that, that really didn't take it as seriously, and they're seeing those flare-ups again. And I say again, I knock on wood because I know it could happen anywhere, but New York has been lucky to not see that. And I have to say, it has to be that we got, we got the message. We've got the message, but let's not forget that, you know, that there's numbers in, in Brooklyn's, Brooklyn and, and Queens right now that, that are spiking. And, um, you know, we're heading into the cooler months where it was predicted that, that we would see a spike again. So now is not the time to be overconfident in what we've done in New York. I, I think we've done a great job um, in, in lowering the numbers, um, but let's not be overconfident either. And, and let's keep looking to the future and, and keep being as cautious as we were in March and April as, as we go through this winter. I think Gopal's story is a cautionary tale. Be afraid of this disease. It's, it's, it's potentially, you don't, want to be, you don't want to be the one drawn, rolling the dice to see if you're the one who gets that sick uh, or not. Can you make that clock chime like 12 times right now? <laughs> Twenty-seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.